We have been created in the image of God. We're image bearers. We, there's something different about humanity um, that makes us distinct, something that no other part of creation possesses. In fact, Psalm 8 says that we were created a little lower than the heavenly beings, a little lower than the gods, the Hebrew says, which is such an interesting phrase. And we're going to look at that in a couple of weeks. And for that reason, there is a dignity that every single human being should be afforded, regardless of who an individual is, what they've done, or where they hail from. And so for those of us who claim Christ as Lord, to uphold that dignity is actually commanded of us, even when it comes to those who fall into the category of enemy, other, sinner, or whatever term you want to use to describe someone that you might not be too keen on. So Newton wrote the words, I once was blind, but now I see. But what did he now see that he was once blinded to before? See, Newton's new life in Christ enabled him to see the humanity and the divine image in individuals who the rest of the world saw as animals, as property, as subhuman. And so our passage this morning, it asks us the question, what do you see when you look upon the hungry, the naked, the sick, and the oppressed? What do you see when you look upon what you might perceive as weeds that are growing among the good seed? What do you see when you look upon those that society and even the church has cast aside? And so the way we answer that question and the manner in which we treat those who fall into those categories is actually reflective of what we truly believe about Jesus. It's reflective of what we truly believe about Jesus. Is he king? Or is he a God made in our own image for our own purposes and gain? And so let's take a look at our text. Matthew chapter 25. When the Son of Man comes, and I'm following a, a short sort of three-point um, outline that's in your bulletin, and you can follow the text. It should be on the other side of your bulletin, and there's some sections there for taking notes. But verses 31 through 33, let me just read these first couple of verses. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats, and he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. So a couple things as we look at this first section. First word is that word when. Right? This is not an if sort of scenario. The Son of Man is going to return. It's just a matter of when that will happen. And even that phrase, Son of Man, it shows up. And, and, and what that would have done for the original readers and what it should do to us is it draws us back to the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 7 in particular. The Son of Man was an image that Daniel saw in a dream. And he was the one who would sit in authority over all peoples, nations, and languages. This was also Jesus' favorite way of referring to himself. The text also says that he will sit on his glorious throne and that all the nations will be gathered. It then says that he will separate people one from another, revealing that there are two types of people 
in the world. But think about this scene, right? Remember where we are, right? We're in what has been called as the Olivet Discourse. This is Jesus' extensive teaching on the end of the former way of doing things, Jerusalem and the temple being destroyed in A.D. 70. But it's also about the end of the age when Jesus returns to judge the living and the dead. And we're not really dealing in parables anymore. The last couple of passages were parables, but this section shifts a little bit. He uses a parabolic phrase, right? Sheep and goats. We're not literally sheep and goats. Look around. We're we're, we're humans. We're not sheep and goats. It It would smell different in here. But all the nations are gathered. Like, I think of images that I would see, like photographs of Woodstock, right, where there was just, like, a massive amount of people, that, like a sea of people that just goes on and on and on for, forever, what it feels like. And that's kind of the image that we should have in our heads. All the nations are gathered. All the people of the nations are gathered before the throne of God. Before the throne of God. And then he begins to separate them. He separates the sheep from the goats. And what we're looking at is what has been described as the final judgment. And the question that we need to wrestle with this morning is what is the final judgment based on? What is the final judgment based on? And I think the easy answer to that question is, well, Jesus, right? And of course, that is true. But the text pushes us a little bit. The text pushes us a little bit to, to, kind of, to kind of think a little bit about what, what does it mean when we put our faith and trust in Jesus? Is it simply this intellectual sort of assent to an idea or concept? Or is there more going on when we bend our knee to King Jesus? The text continues, verses 34 through 36. It says this. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. A couple things, right? He says, come. This is, this is an interjection. Right, we were messing around on, um, I think it's on Disney Plus now, all the, uh, the Schoolhouse Rock videos are on Disney Plus, and there's the one song about interjections, and it's just, I, I would actually recommend it. It's hilarious, and it's fun to listen to. But I was just, it's funny that this came up in the text, because this is exactly what we're looking at. This is an interjection. Jesus is basically erupting, saying, come now, come quickly. I have something for you. It's incredible. Please, come. It's kind of like when, a, when, when someone comes home from a business trip, a parent comes home from a business trip or something, they've been away for a couple days, and, and they bring with them gifts for their children. They're saying, come, guys, I got to show you something. This is cool. I got something something for you. I have a blessing for you. And that's what Jesus is saying right now. I have something for you. Come, come look, come quickly. And he says that they're blessed by my father. And then he commands them, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And so this isn't something that he like quickly came up with on the spot. This is all a part of God's plan. And then in verses 35 and 36, it begins with a really important transition word. It says, for, for, verse 35 says, for I was hungry. He says, inherit the kingdom for you. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world 
for I was hungry. Because I was hungry is another way to translate that word for. Because I was hungry and you fed me. Because I was sick and you visited me. Because I was in prison and you came to me. Because I was naked and you clothed me. Come inherit this this incredible blessing because of what you did. Whoa, 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 time out. Because of what you did? That's what the Bible is saying to us right now, guys. It says, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Why? Because I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me drink, etc. The point, come, you blessed ones. Inherit the kingdom because you fed me, you gave me a drink, you sheltered me, you clothed me, and you visited me. See, the inheritance that we possess as followers of Jesus, those who have been adopted into the family of God, is based upon what these individuals did. The ones on the right, the sheep, are the ones who lived out the commands to love God because they tangibly loved Jesus. We're not finished. we got a lot to go here, so bear with me. Text goes on. I'm not done. Because if I finished here, you guys would be worried and maybe like someone might want to fire me. But we're not, we're not there yet. Just follow me. He says this, Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you a drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. When did we see you? That phrase is repeated three times. And it indicates that the righteous were taken by surprise. They're a little confused right now. They're like, well, what do you mean? I I don't remember seeing you. And the king responds, truly I say to you, as you did it to the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. So, so a little bit of a sidebar. There's a debate that goes on in, in Christian scholarly circles that the least of these, my brothers, are, are, some, are, are referring to Christians, while others argue that it refers to Christian mi- missionaries. But the context, and I think the majority of Christian history, suggests that we're dealing with people in general. This is not a specific brother or sister. We're dealing with people in general. This passage is about the least of these in this world, how they are seen and humanized by faithful followers of Jesus. But wait, but wait. I thought salvation was by grace through faith, right? This is what we're wrestling with right now. It should be what we're wrestling with right now. I thought salvation was by grace through faith. This seems like if you care for the poor then you go to heaven. That's what it seems like, right, as we, as we look at the text. But we need to remember what we've been dealing with throughout the entire course of this series and honestly, what the scriptures deal with. We are saved by grace through faith. But, great, but faith without works is what? Dead. It's dead. And the works that God is calling us to are the works of love, mercy, and kindness toward our neighbor. See, the thing about our works, which are works of love, kindness, and mercy toward our neighbor, like those are the specific works that we deal with. Yes, there are ways to to be holy. There are things that we need to refrain from as followers of Jesus. But what is often spoken about, especially by Jesus, is what are you doing? Not what did you abstain from. 
And yes, there are things to abstain from, of course. But holiness is also a mark of what we do for others. It's how we demonstrate the love of God that has been implanted in us by King Jesus when we bent our knee to him. So our works reveal our faith. Do we get that? Do we see the distinction there? We are not saved by our works. We are saved by grace through faith, but our works reveal what we believe about Jesus. That is a massively important thing that we've been wrestling with over the last number of weeks as we work through Matthew 24 and 25. Massively important. Our works reveal our faith, and they reveal what we believe about our king. But what is so important about this passage, which is where things start to get uncomfortable, is that Jesus himself is identifying with the lowest dregs of society. He is basically saying, you see those outcasts? You see the broken? You see the marginalized? The ones who might kind of fit into your category as animal, possibly? Those are my people. Those are my people. Those are the people I feel most at home with. And while the rest of the world walks by and pretends like they are not there, you stop. You listened, you saw, and you cared. See, that's what faith in Christ does. It gives us eyes to see. It opens our eyes to the things and people that others might not be able to see. What it did with John Newton is that all of a sudden, the cargo that he was shipping back and forth from Africa to England, was no longer cargo, but were image bearers of God Almighty. That's what the gospel does to us, Redeemer Fellowship. That's what King Jesus does for us. He enables us to see the image of God in humanity. And even in the humans who, who the world would cast aside as trash, God says, no, 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 no. Those are my people. They bear my image. And, and, he's, and he's, in a sense, in this final judgment scene, he's congratulating the sheep. He's like, and you guys got it. You saw, you saw exactly who these people are. The question we need to wrestle with as followers of Jesus is what do we see? What do we see when we look at the world around us, when we look at people who are considered to be sinners in this world? And see, this is, this is the upside-down nature of the kingdom. I want to I read a couple of things from, from the Beatitudes. It says, it says, as Jesus begins the Sermon on the Mount, he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who are persecuted. And, and in Luke's version, 
He just says, blessed are the poor, not the poor in spirit, just blessed are the poor. He says, blessed are the hungry, not the hungry, hunger for righteous, blessed are the hungry. See, there's something about this kingdom of God that is different from the way the kingdoms of this world operate. Oh, and praise God for that, right? Praise God for that. The things, that, and I gotta stop using that word things, right? The people that God calls blessed are the people that none of us would want to be a part of that crew. We just wouldn't. And I'm saying this myself too, like I, I don't want to be poor. I don't. I don't want to suffer. I don't think there's anyone in this room that's, that's, that's right. Like if there's a sign up like, hey, here's the sign up. You can be poor, have no money, have no food, have to struggle for every single thing and, and sign up right there. No, that line's short. It's a short line. But we are surrounded by that in this life. And God is saying to, to, to open our eyes so that we might see that these are the image bearers of God. It's the image bearers of God. And he's saying, open your eyes. The, the, the kingdom of God is, is upending every single thing that this world is trying to articulate as what is true and what is real. He's, it's pulling back the curtain and saying, that's not the reality that I intend for this world. And he's calling us to have those eyes to see. Keeping in step with the Spirit means we too can reorient our value system. And that's what this is, right? This is, a, this is a value system that's being reoriented. And we're just seeing the end of the story here as we look at the end of Matthew chapter 25. We're seeing the end of the story. We're seeing a group of people who caught the vision that, that Jesus laid out. They kept in step with the Spirit. They probably didn't do it perfectly, guys. They probably didn't do it perfectly. But they were faithful, and they were faithful because they possessed the Spirit of God. And so this is where it begins to get difficult, because now we're going to look at those on the left. Those on the left are a little bit different. It says this in verse 41 through 46. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you, cur Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Why? Because I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. And then they also will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? He will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Those on the right, the sheep, they noticed the ones who were cast aside. They had eyes to see. The ones on the left, the goats, they didn't see. They saw the other as simply a drain on society, a dirty sinner, an inconvenience, whatever you want to call it, but they certainly did not see Jesus. They certainly did not see Jesus. 
What I think is interesting about this, right, there's so much in the New Testament specifically, but throughout the Bible about, about showing favoritism and, and what it means, right? Even James talks about this, how it's like, like you, you better not show partiality to people in your church. Like, you better not save the best seat in the house for the biggest givers in the church. Because the kingdom of God is not like that. See, but see, the world is like that, right? The kingdoms of this world do function in a way that, like, we want the most successful people. We want, you know, if, if, if I'm starting a nonprofit, I want, I want rich people because they're going to give me money. And, and in fact, what I might do is I might take those rich people out to dinner, I might woo them. I might do all sorts of things to encourage them to give money to my nonprofit. But, but woe is me and woe is anyone in this room if we ever think that that is the means by which we build the church. See, God's saying like, no, 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 it doesn't work that way. It's an upside down kingdom. It's a different sort of structure. They didn't see the humanity the image-bearing nature of these individuals, and they just walked by them. They were blind. But the Spirit of God opens our eyes. We have eyes to see. Again, we go back to John Newton, right? I once was blind, but now I see. And yes, that is about, like, we, we see the grace of God, right? And we, we are saved now, right? But if we identify as Christians, but still fail to see the humanity in the world around us, then we're not identifying with the Jesus of the Bible. That's massively important. As we think about the series that we're in, watching and waiting, watching and waiting for the coming of our Lord, how we live in the meantime matters. It reflects what we believe about the one who is to come and judge the living and the dead. It reveals what we believe about the kingdom that he proclaims and announces and he calls us to get wrapped up into. It reveals so much about what we believe. How we live matters, Redeemer Fellowship. I think for too long, Christianity has, has cast aside, strange teachings of Christianity has cast aside the, the love that we are to have for neighbor. So many things have gotten, gotten in the way, so many distractions, so many things, whether it's political, whether it's, whether it's finance, whatever the case may be, has gotten in the way of what Jesus calls us to. And we need to be careful that we too don't get wrapped up in those stories. Because there's one story that ultimately matters. It's, it's the story of God's kingdom and the king who oversees it and rules it. And we need to wrestle with that. See, the point of this passage is that the final judgment will prove whether or not we truly put our faith in Jesus. And the only way we can know if we truly love Jesus is if we truly love our neighbor. Like They go hand in hand. Now, I know this might make some of us uncomfortable, but I'm not saying anything more than what Jesus is saying in this passage. The way we view the image of God, our fellow sojourners in this life, reveals what we truly believe about God. First John says it like this, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, 
cannot love God whom he has not seen. Like, they're not able to. They're not able to. And so the question we need to wrestle with then is, who is our neighbor? And Jesus answers that plainly in the parable of the Good Samaritan. It's everyone we come in contact with. And it doesn't matter what political party they're affiliated with, what religion they claim, what pronoun they prefer. We are called to love this world with the love of Christ, moving toward the effects of sin with grace, kindness, and truth. That might make some of us uncomfortable because we have opinions. We have views about certain groups of people. Oh, but Redeemer Fellowship, remember the parable of the the weeds and the good seed? They grow up together. And guess what? At the end of that parable, are we the ones who are to judge them? No, he doesn't say say that that we are the ones that judge them. He He sends his guys to judge them. He's got his angels to go judge them. We live our lives and we love people. We point out truth. I'm not saying that we, we just say, we don't, we don't call sin good. That's not what I'm saying. And I think you guys know me at this point that that's not what I'm saying. We don't call sin good. We love neighbor. Period. Period. It doesn't mean we approve of sin. It doesn't mean we approve of, of, of criminal activity. Like, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying we love our neighbor. Because I think too often we want to caveat that statement. We can't caveat that statement. Love God, love neighbor. That is the greatest commandment. That's the greatest commandment. And so how do we do that, right? We are to build relationships with people. We are to move toward people so that we might have the opportunity to share with them the good news of King Jesus. We then trust the Holy Spirit and the community of faith to birth holiness in their lives. But remember, like I said, we live among the weeds, and we live among the destitute, the poor, and the hungry. Our job, regardless of who is in front of us, is to love them and proclaim the good news of King Jesus. That's what the sheep do. That's what the sheep do. The goats want nothing to do with that. The goats are content to live their lives for themselves. But Jesus wants us to live our lives in a manner that reflects the same love that he lavished upon us, a love that is marked by the cross, a love that is marked by sacrifice, a love that is marked by, by, by self-giving. And guys, I, I, I know I kind of just, this was a, one of those sermons where I kind of just kept repeating the same thing over and over again. And it's been one of those series where I feel like I've been repeating the same thing over and over again. And probably most of my preaching repeats the same thing over and over again because I do believe that that those of us who share together in the life of Christ by loving God and loving neighbor are living out the very thing that Scripture is calling us to do. It's a simple command. But it requires that we reorient our entire view, that we, we, we deconstruct from what we've been taught by this world what we've been taught by whatever political pundits we might follow and revere, whatever platforms that we might agree with, we deconstruct from that and we follow the risen king who reached out and and touched the leper, who spoke with the prostitute, 
who did all the things that we would tell our kids, like, hey, don't do that. Don't do that. Stay away. God's saying, go. Get messy. Get dirty. Get so dirty that it actually looks like their sin is all over you. Right? We have this, and I'm, now I'm just, now I'm, I'm, I'm kind of soapboxed a little bit here right now. But there's that passage, right, where it says, where, where we've read it so many times, it says, avoid all appearances of evil. Have you ever heard that verse? And, and we've used that verse, right? Like, we don't want to look evil. We don't want to appear as though we're doing something wrong. We don't want to appear as though we want to make sure that we appear holy. But, but it's really interesting. That's just a really bad translation because it doesn't say avoid all appearances of evil. It says avoid all forms of evil. Basically, do not sin. But it doesn't say don't look like you might be sinning because guess who looked like a sinner when he, stood, when he hung naked on a cross? Jesus looked like a sinner. He appeared to be a sinner. But he wasn't. He wasn't a sinner. And so God is not saying don't identify with the sinners. God's not saying don't hang with the sinners. He's saying don't sin. Those are very different, right? Those are very different things. So there is almost this sense where, where people should look at the church and be like, man, you guys are a mess. Like, you guys look filthy. Because we're getting other people's stuff on us. We can't be afraid to get other people's stuff on us. That's hard. That's hard. And I gotta be honest with you guys, I got a lot to say this morning because like I feel like I've been cooped up for three weeks and 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 like I haven't seen people in a while. And and so I'm like, oh cool, I'm just gonna I'm gonna, I'm gonna go for it today. I'm gonna go for it. But it's good news. It's good news, and I don't want us to walk out of here feeling condemned. That's, that, that's never my goal, and, I, and, and like I said, I think, I think you guys know me at this point that that's not my goal, that you would leave Sunday morning feeling condemned. No, my hope is that we would leave, myself included, that we would leave Sunday morning being challenged, being challenged to, to think through our relationships with people, to think through our views, to allow the Spirit of God through the Word of God to pen, penetrate our hearts and change us. Because we all have things that need to change about us. We all have views that need to be reoriented. None of us have arrived. And that's the beauty of the gospel is that it doesn't stop working on us until we, until we tell it to stop working on us, right? As long as we continue to submit ourselves to Christ, submit ourselves to his teaching, submit ourselves to the spirit of God, guess what? He's going to change us. He's going to give us eyes to see. He's going to reorient our views. We're going to start looking at things that maybe a year ago we were okay with, and now we're like, oh, no, I don't know if I agree with what they're saying. I heard a political figure this last week. I'm not going to say the name. It was at a major conference somewhere, some political conference. And he said... He said, I, I know the teaching that, that Jesus says to turn the other cheek. And then, and then he said, he says, but what has that ever gotten us? And the whole crowd erupted. And I was just like, ooh, that's not good. You shouldn't say that. Because you just discounted Jesus' teachings and he's king. So, I don't know, call me crazy, but <laughs> you don't mess with the king, right? I heard that from, from a very, again, I'm not going to say the name. I'm sure you can look it up and figure it out. As we close our time this morning, the question that we posed at the beginning should be ringing in our ears. What do you see when you look upon the hungry? 
the naked, the sick, the oppressed. What do you see when you look upon what you might perceive as weeds that grow among the good seed? What do you see when you look upon those that society and even the church has cast aside? If Jesus is right, then our job is to not stand in judgment over the weeds, as we saw in Matthew 13, but to live among them with love. It's to be prepared for the coming of our Lord by extending the grace which he entrusted to us, not simply burying it because grace begets more grace. And three, that extending grace means sacrificially and tangibly loving our neighbors. In order to lo- and in order to love our neighbors, we need to open our eyes to see them. We watch and wait for the coming of King Jesus by living out his rule and reign in the here and now. And the rule and reign of the king is marked by the new commandment he has given us, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. It's that simple, but so difficult. But it's good news because the love that he tells us to manifest towards others is the love that he lavished upon us. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were enemies of God, Christ died for us. He moved near to us. He took the weight of our sin upon himself. And we have forgiveness. And we have life. And he says, now go live that life in light of what I've done for you by loving me and loving neighbor with the same love, grace, and mercy that I have displayed and lavished upon you. That's the good news of King Jesus. That's what we're waiting to see one day with unveiled faces when we stand before him at the final judgment. Be challenged, but be encouraged because there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So if we're struggling in these areas, the good news is that we can repent, confess our sin, and we will be forgiven. That's good news. And guess what? We're all struggling in these areas. And little by little, he's chipping away. He's chipping away. Reorienting our vision a little bit every day. Seeing things that we might not have seen six months ago, a year ago, five years ago. That's beautiful stuff right there. That's what gets me excited because that's, that's, we, we change. Like, we actually change. I pray that you all are not the same as you were a year ago, two years ago. I'm not. Like, God has been doing a lot of work on me. I got to be honest with you. A year ago, if I walked into church after the last time being here, there was 100 people and now there's 30. I, 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 I mean, I was close to it. I was a little, getting a little choked up. I was like, I don't know what to do. But, but for some reason, God enabled me to stand here and proclaim good news to you. And that's different than I was a year ago, two years ago. That's God. And now I don't even know where I'm going. I'm just like, I'm just riffing now. I don't know. Let's go to the Lord and then we'll participate in the Lord's Supper. Oh, Father in heaven, man, we love you so much, God. We love you so much and we're so grateful for the grace that you lavish upon us. Father, I pray that we would not squander that grace. Individually, we wouldn't squander that grace. As a church, 
we would not squander that grace, but rather, Lord, we would live in light of it and we would lavish it upon all we come in contact with, Lord God. Give us eyes to see. Give us eyes to see your divine image in the world around us and the people that maybe rub us the wrong way, Lord, who differ in their opinions, who come from another place that we might not be used to, Lord God. Give us eyes to see. Oh, Father, we love you so much, Lord God. Lord, I pray for our church. I pray for those who are struggling with with COVID right now, Lord God. Those who are struggling with fear right now, Lord God, because of of this surge in, in, in the virus, Lord God. Father, I pray that we would be faithful, Lord God. Help us, Lord. Help us to not get wrapped up, but to continually put our eyes upon you, Lord Jesus. God, we love you so much. It's in Christ's name we pray.